0: It's always an honor to welcome our military leaders to Walking the Walk. Today's guest retired as a major general from the U.S. Air Force and then went on to serve in the diplomatic corps as a special envoy, ambassador, and a special assistant to the White House. Our guest today is Scott Gratian.
1: People who inspire, empower, and guide us to our very best, leaders who are walking the walk. Your host, leadership activist, author, and founder of the Sensei Leader Movement, Jim Bouchard. Scott
0: Gratian's diplomatic assignments have included serving as ambassador to Kenya, special envoy to Sudan, and special assistant to the president in the White House. And as I said, he retired with the rank of major general from the United States Air Force, and this after serving for 32 years as a fighter pilot and senior military leader. He now serves as a business consultant and a speaker, and he's recently published his unique and interesting experiences in this inspirational memoir, Flight Path, Son of Africa to Warrior Diplomat. Scott, it's an honor to have you on Walking the Walk.
2: Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Jim.
0: We won't tell people about how difficult it was to get you here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was tough. I'll admit that.
0: We're going to gloss over that. But I'd like to start with that. Let's talk about, you know, I I think that's an interesting story, from the Son of Africa to Warrior Diplomat.
2: Well, back in... uh, When I was very young, 18 months old, my parents took me to Africa. They were missionary teachers in Congo. And uh, so I grew up speaking Swahili before English. I grew up in, uh, obviously, a third culture. Uh, My parents had one. Uh, I was in Africa and then the blended culture, which is a third culture, which makes it pretty unique. But it gives me a unique Uh, and interesting outlook on the world.
0: I should have said Jumbo when we started.
2: You should have. Jumbo would work. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
2: uh, although you know now with people going into Shang, you probably should say "mumbo."
0: Mumbo, I remember mambo. that. All that's right, that's
2: what the the young people say. And if you're really with it, you will say "mumbo." It's sort of like "hi" or "what's happening."
0: More casual, kind of huh? More casual.
2: Yeah, sure.
0: Well, keep keep going with that story. So you, you ended up as a child in Africa, and
2: yeah. Uh, We were in Congo until I was 13, and then we evacuated. Things got tough, uh, Mm. army mutinied, there was rebel soldiers coming our way, and so we left. During that experience, we lost everything we owned. We ended up leaving Congo with just our car and the clothes on our back, Mm -hmm. went to Kenya eventually by stopping in Uganda, and my parents were teaching in a place just outside of Nairobi. And uh, that's where I spent the next part of my youth, uh, my teen years, and then I came back to the States and went to college, and uh, the rest is history because I got drafted, a low draft number, and uh, joined the military and had a great time flying uh, aircraft, fighters, F-5, F-16, F-15s, and a bunch of other airplanes. And uh, don't regret a day I had on active duty. It was a wonderful experience, mainly because of the people. I enjoyed flying, of course, but but the people I met, the people I worked with, other fighter pilots, senior officers, uh, were just awesome. And uh, I tell you, we got a great country, a great military, people that have great values and are willing to sacrifice for our country and the people they work with.
0: You know, there's a couple of, of things that um, you you kind of inspired when you when you're just sharing that. One of them is one of the core values we have at Sensei Leader Movement is this idea of compassionate leadership and. Some people are surprised by this. I, I never am anymore that when I meet someone who's had a, a military leadership position and especially high ranking positions um, i i 've never found more compassionate leaders than the military leaders and it 's interesting because I think too many people still confuse that with command command and control type of leadership, but also uh, that idea that you you did something that 's r- very rare these days. you said you, you said you were drafted, so you must have moved through the ranks you know to, to get to get to the general ship.
2: Well, I sort of cheated a little bit. When I said I was drafted, uh, I went down to Fort Dix uh, to mm-hmm. take a physical to go to Vietnam with a whole bunch of other people that were right. waiting in line. And I went over to McGuire and I said, listen, I really want to fly jets. And so I was able to go in uh, and join an ROTC program and finish – ROTC program that allowed me to enter the Air Force as an officer and then go into pilot training. So I did miss the, the earlier ones, but, but it was this, you know, it sort of was a wake-up call uh, when I realized that I would have to make a decision to either join the military, uh, the Air Force as an officer, or else go in for a shorter period of time and yeah. then go to Vietnam as an enlisted person.
0: Yeah, but that's still, that's still a long way to go from... You know the first level of officer training, all the way to general. That's that's amazing.
2: Yeah, just I would like to go back and pick up one point you said about. No, compassion. please do,
0: please do. Yes.
2: Yeah, I, you know because it's so important uh, in the military. Uh, we're sort of trained and bred that that you don't sleep until everybody that works for you has a place to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really a servant leadership and it's putting others first. In fact, is that's a core value of the Air Force. We have integrity first, uh, excellence in all we do, but we also have service before self. And that really is a value that I think is so critical to leadership. I saw this when I went back to Uganda and Idi Demin. I was one of 13 white folks in the Kampala area. And oh I was working goodness. in a hospital called Mengo Hospital and the doctor there, was a Ugandan doctor that had a very uh, successful practice in Germany, and he came back to Uganda when there were shooting, there were people getting killed, there was no water, no electricity. It was just terribly tough situations. And I said, Dr. Masaba, why did you come back? This is when we were hiding in a cornfield as as the soldiers were ripping through the hospital looking for medicines and food. And he said, if I didn't come back, who would take care of my people?
3: And at that point,
2: I really understood what the essence of servant leadership is. That's when you put yourself behind your pain, behind your financial loss, behind anything else to take care of your people. And and really, when you come right down to it, that's the ultimate in leadership, when you can sacrifice for the people that you're working for, and that's the people that you're over.
0: No, absolutely. I wish I could remember who said this. I heard this recently. Um, it was another person who works in a leadership space like we do, and they... Uh, they were asked the question about servant leadership and, and the gentleman responded "He said, well, what other kind is there? You
2: know and I thought? Yeah, that's exactly that, right. right.
0: But the that's idea right. of that command and control, because uh, I often I, I purposely do this to instigate trouble, but you know, I say the age of command and control is over. Uh, I'd argue that it never really existed, yet leaders must operate in that mode sometimes but you're never going to be, none of your orders are going to be followed if you haven't built up the trust and the respect of the people you serve, right?
2: Let me just tell you a quick story. I was the wing commander at Elmendorf Air Force Base and we had an inspection coming up and uh, so I saw my job as really laying out the vision and and making sure that people were resourced and trained and empowered to do their jobs and and I would just sit back and, and be a cheerleader for these folks Mm -hmm. one night uh i was actually taken out of the exercise just so that the evaluators could see how the wing would operate without their top guy and a young airman needed a heads of display to make the last airplane airplane 72 so that we could deploy out Mm -hmm. he went to the trainer got permission for a one-time only flight took the heads-up display out of the trainer, which is the same part number, put it in the airplane, and we flew the next morning. Mm. Well, my job was easy. I just congratulated him and gave him an award, a medal, Uh. for using his initiative because he had been empowered. He knew the mission. He knew our objective, and he took the initiative to do the right thing when I was sleeping. I was so happy that leadership finally worked. It wasn't just me, but his bosses and his bosses' bosses had empowered him and trained him and resourced him and given him the latitude to make the right decision, and we got an outstanding. It was the first outstanding that a wing had gotten since the Air Force was founded in 1948, and nobody has made it since. And and a lot of it was people like that airman taking the initiative, doing their jobs within the bounds that, that we had laid for them, by giving them the freedom to make the right decisions to do what it took to make our team successful. And, and to me, that's the story about what leadership is. It's not forcing people and telling them what to do and commanding them. It's giving them the latitude, the training, the resources and allowing them to be empowered to do the right thing for the team. And and that's that was so beautiful for me and it really reinforced what, what my leadership was all about. Serving sure. these folks and making them successful.
0: Oh, we are so singing in harmony. I know you learned it through your military career, and I learned it you know, in my life as a sensei, that you were hitting all the same words, you know, to inspire, to empower, to guide people. And it's, it's fascinating that you mentioned the, the recognition component because we do a, a survey. We ask you know, leaders how often you recognize people for a job well done. Um, and what you said there, I mean, it's so important. The smallest gestures sometimes are the most important, right? You don't wait around for the medal. You, you pat somebody on the back and, and really you know, give them focused praise for a job well done and how people respond to it. You also touched really on something that's really dear to our hearts here. Leader, true leadership has nothing to do with rank or position of authority. I mean, that guy who, who took that initiative, he showed leadership right there on the front lines.
2: You're exactly right. Uh, everybody has their part to play. And you've got to, as a leader, make sure everybody is part of the team and everybody Mm -hmm. is valued and everybody has worth. Uh, You know, but it goes back to being thankful again. Uh, I'll tell you, when I was a captain, I started just writing a thank you letter a week, uh, just out of discipline. But I had people coming back, driving 60 miles to say thank you for the letter. I had Mm -hmm. one person come back and say, you know, I'm not very handsome. (laughs) I'm not not good looking and, and the good looking people seem to get all the praise and, and the thanks and that kind of thing. He said, but I come here every day and this is the first time somebody has recognized me for me doing my job. And, and I really took that. In. And as a commander, I started writing personalized birthday cards to everybody. And, and it, I ended up having to preprint them because I had 25,000 to board for me at <laughs> one point, but I would sign their name yeah. and my name. And if I could, I would try to remember catching them doing something good that I could recognize them for. And, and, you know, even when I was in a combat zone, I spent a lot of my time writing letters back to spouses and, and to parents. And I've heard stories about those letters are still on the refrigerator because the impact was so great by, by thanking the parents for the work that their kids were doing. You know, it doesn't take much. It's just time and a piece of paper and some ink. But it means so very much to motivate a team. And you're not doing it to motivate the team. You're really expressing gratitude for their contributions to your organization, to your country, whoever you're working for, whatever part of leadership team you're a part of. You can't do it by yourself. And for people that think that they can drive the train by themselves, it's crazy. Everybody has to be there. When I went out to fly, my F-15 probably hadn't been looked at by another officer. It was enlisted people that fixed the radar, loaded the munitions, and made that airplane work. Yeah. And and the control tower. It's everybody working together, regardless of rank. It's everybody working as a team to get the final product out the door, to get the capacity and the capability that you're looking for.
0: No, you no, you hit it right on the head. I mean, obviously, that very definition of leadership means that you're not you're not alone. Even though I I understand it does feel that way sometimes. You know, it's to, our job, our number one job, maybe is to you know transform me into we. But you also hit you hit on something really important. I think um, we make a strong uh, uh, distinction between motivation and inspiration. Now, motivation to me is something that's very, very simple. You can motivate somebody very simply, and, and it's a, more of a technical process. I mean, you can bribe them. You can offer them more money. You can give them a bonus, or you can scare them. You can threaten them, and that'll motivate people, and they'll meet certain expectations most of the time, or a lot of the time anyway. But what you're talking about, that simple gesture, so powerful, that's inspiration. That transcends any sort of expectations. You know, That, that, that like you said, that meaning, someone has that on that refrigerator for years afterwards. And how much did that have an impact on their lives once they left the military and went on into other other avenues?
2: Yeah, I think you just reminded me of something that I think is so important. And every time I took over a leadership position, I would sit there and spend a lot of time figuring out exactly what that little phrase is That would be our vision. And the third wing, it was to make uh, the third wing into America's premier air power wing. And just so that people would have something that that every day they're getting up and thinking, what am I doing to make the third wing America's premier air power wing? And then out of that flows the mission. And and it's one of those things that we need to do now to get to where we want to be in the future. And then those strategic tasks, it doesn't have to be that many, but the mission essential strategic tasks, there's a building block that, that maybe everybody doesn't have to understand as long as they understand the vision and the mission. And then the leaders have to think through and plan and figure out what needs to be done and, and how do we organize, how do we train, how we equip.
3: Yeah, so yeah. there's
2: a method to all this stuff to make it happen. But when you get people that are inspired... Mm-hmm. People that are doing not things that just are pet rocks and whatever, but they add significantly to the mission essential tasks that have to be accomplished. When you get everybody moving the same direction and accomplishing these things, and there's nothing that can stand in the way of success. It is a beautiful thing to see a well-oiled machine of inspired people working together to achieve the mission to accomplish the vision.
0: You hit it. Exactly. And you know, they, what does Admiral Grace Hopper always quote her? I thought it was so beautiful. She said, you manage things, you lead people, right?
3: Exactly.
0: They're two different jobs. They're both important. Like you said, the technical things, those are, those are important. We've got to, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's, but we got to take care of our people. Listen, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I want to pick that up. And you, you mentioned, uh, you know, your adventures, we could talk to you for 20 episodes and maybe we'll recruit you to do that. But, uh, I want to get to the idea of of dictatorship and your experience with Idi Amin. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back with with, uh, General Scott Gratian And we've also got to talk about your diplomatic service too. So we'll be back in just a couple minutes. The research is bomb proof. People perform at their best when and only when they know their leaders care, when they know their work has meaning, and when they have the chance to learn, grow, and develop. To accomplish this, we need to connect with the people we serve the people who trust in our leadership. Leaders today need emotional intelligence, strong interpersonal skills, and an accurate sense of self-awareness. I'm Jim Bouchard, leadership activist and founder of the Sensei Leader Movement. The Sensei enjoys a very special relationship with students. It's one built on respect, trust, and loyalty. And these are also a leader's most valuable assets. I help you build these relationships. I work with you to help you inspire, empower, and guide your people to their very best. That's what the best leaders do, and that's what the sensei does. My job is to help you
1: be the sensei, so you can lead your people to their very best and yours. Executive coaching, workshops, corporate training. Visit thesenseileader.com or call 207-751-4317 today to learn more. You
0: know, when a president writes the introduction to your book, You're probably somebody worth listening to. And President Carter is the one who introduces us to Scott Gratian in his incredible memoir, Flight Path, Son of Africa to Warrior Diplomat. Flight Path includes captivating experiences from Scott's unique childhood, attending boarding school at the age of seven, escaping the 1964 Congo Rebellion as a refugee, and being inducted into the Maasai tribe in Kenya. And that's just how the book starts. Human interest vignettes punctuate fascinating accounts of developing the Predator drone, conducting the 2003 Scud hunt in Iraq, and accompanying Senator Obama to Africa in 2006. He painfully describes surviving the 1996 Kobar Towers bombing in Saudi Arabia and the 9/11 terrorist attack on the Pentagon. And then he recalls speaking at the 2008 National Democratic Convention and helping to birth South Sudan in 2011. Today, Scott is a business consultant and speaker focusing on leadership on a deeply human level. Learn about Scott and his amazing book, Flight Path, at scottgration.com. Scott, before the break, you know, I mentioned I wanted to I wanted to circle back to, to someone you had, had mentioned, Edie Amin. You know, and as much as I study leaders, I also study dictators. Because there's a huge distinction in my mind between leadership, you know, leadership is a leader is somebody who has the ability to attract willing followers and the will to serve them. And to me, a dictator is someone who gets the job done through fear or force or coercion. Um, we had the, the honor to to work in Cuba uh, a little more than a year ago and to see and to study more about, you know, the, the, the world that they live in and, you know, what happens under a dictatorship. And Edia mean. Of course, is he, he's the icon, you know, one of the icons of what an evil dictator is. And, and you had some experience with him?
2: Yeah, I did. You know, I mentioned earlier that uh, we evacuated from Congo and uh, mm. went to Kampala for a while and lived there. And mm-hmm. people shared their food with us. They shared their houses with us and they shared their clothes with us. And when I heard about Idi Amin... And the terrible things that were happening in Uganda, uh, 600,000 people killed, churches being burned down with prisoners inside, people being tortured in the State Research Bureau. In fact, as I heard a story of one man say that you could have thrown rice into this room and it was so hot and sweaty that the rice would have cooked. When I heard those kind of stories and the lack of water, lack of electricity, I knew I had to do something. I had to go back and help these people that had helped us out. And so I bought a ticket and took off for Kampala and, of course, landed at Entebbe Airport and there was a 707 on the ramp with the engine shot off and shrapnel throughout. My tools had been confiscated and uh, the, the whole terminal was just in chatters as bombs and shooting had taken its toll. Went through 18 roadblocks, got to my room next to the tuberculosis ward and Mango Hospital and I could just hear the shooting and the screaming and the dogs barking and I couldn't believe that I was there. I couldn't believe that I was experiencing what the Ugandans experienced every day. The next morning I, I walked up to check in with the doctor and I passed two children, probably seven or eight and realized that they had never tasted salt, sugar and flour. And the things that, that my kids would take for granted, even sweets. And, And when I looked at what these people were enduring, I saw them working hard to make the best of their situation without complaining.
3: Mm. And it
2: taught Mm. me a heck of a lot that how the Ugandan people were so resilient. We ate matoke bananas for three meals a day, but every meal that they served me came with a little penicillin vial that had a flower or a leaf in it. I think I learned so much from the Ugandan Uh. people about how, what's important, you know, life itself was all they had. And mm-hmm. families, I learned this a little bit when we evacuated. I said we lost everything, but, but the clothes on our backs. And I realized that at a young age, that nobody can take what's in your brain.
3: The mm-hmm.
2: stuff you can mm-hmm. put in your mind. Nobody can take your relationships with family and friends and your God. Nobody can take that. And when you come right down to it, It's not facilities and houses and wealth that's important. It's what you can communicate. It's relationships that you can build. It's people you can inspire. It's leadership and building capacities and capabilities. That's really what endures. That's what is important. And this whole experience with Idi Amin and Uganda and evacuating and living in poverty, uh, it really told me what's important and so often and it's insidious. Not only do we have to do the right things, but we have to do things right. And a lot of times it's clouded as we start trying to make bigger things and oh, accumulate right. more. No, no, it, when when yeah. what we need is those relationships yeah. and what's in the mind and what's in the heart. That's really, and if you can build that into your team, goodness, that's, that's <sighs> where it's, that's the bottom line for me.
0: Right. And of course, the, the, really, ultimately, the way to do that is to lead, you know, provide the example, lead by example. But you hit you hit on something so important, too. Um, and I, I don't want to go too far off on a tangent. I want to hear some more of your stories. But this idea, when people press me to summarize leadership in one idea, I always rely on this one. Leadership is sharing. Leader shares, right? People, leaders are people who need doing and they do it. And it's sad sometimes. I agree. We're addicted to complexity. And the simplicity, it's sad that we sometimes have to be reduced to poverty. Now, I, I, I've experienced true poverty myself. It was self-imposed. Okay, so I have nobody to blame but myself. Uh, it was part of it. I was a drug addict when I was younger, and that—that's the situation I was in. But anyway, have, but having that experience in hindsight can be a blessing now. But isn't it sad that we have to sometimes go to those extremes, or like the scenario you just described, where these people—what, what more beautiful, what more powerful demonstration of? genuine leadership than to share what little food you have with somebody else who needs it. I mean, that, to me, that's...
2: you hit on it because that means that you don't have to be the top guy, the CEO or the CFO or the CEO and have initials behind your name. Everybody has the capacity to share. Everybody has the capacity to make a difference. And whether you're just doing it to people around you or whether you're You're doing it to your community or your world. Mm. We all have different roles, but it all comes down to what you're saying.
0: But that that means so so much more, right? It means so much more coming from you because you have had those titles. You've held those positions of authorities. And I do want to touch on at least one more of them before we wrap up today. But having said that, you know, I I think that's, wow, that's a huge takeaway. I mean, if you're listening to this program and you don't hear anything else, Scott, you had all those titles and yet, you recognize the power in the simple things.
2: Yep. Making a difference <laughs> doesn't come from being having titles. Making a difference has to come from doing. And the doing has to come from your heart. And, and when that happens and you can share and inspire mm-hmm. and make a difference, and that's what's satisfying. And to me, whether I have a house or a nice car, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, that's not what's satisfying. But seeing other people become successful, seeing teams be built, and seeing them accomplish something that, that otherwise was going to be difficult to do and to see people rally and come around and do that, that to me is what I remember. And and really when you come right down to it, at the end of your life, it's not those things that you've accumulated. Right, right. right. It's relationships. Well, you can't, it's how much you've been able to make a difference, inspire, and share. That's what it's all about. And, and I'm hoping that, that I've – started early enough <laughs> <laughs> and I don't don't have to give oh. a lot of stuff away, but I can leave a yeah. legacy in my children and my friends and my community yeah. of things where I've made a difference.
0: Well I'm gonna roll some dice here because I really have I have no idea how you're gonna to respond to this, but how much of a role do you think that mindset and that philosophy played in your movement up the ladder in your ability to attain these positions. And again, you know, uh, to be the ambassador to Kenya, I mean, what a remarkable thing and not that being a general in the air force is anything to sneeze at, but to, to hold all these stations, to be a trusted advisor to a president. Um, how much did your, I'm going to say, look, be a little more technical with the human side, the human centric side of, of your leadership play in that, in the, in uh, how would we say it? Is that what people noticed when they offered you these positions more so is was it bigger or smaller than the technical um, skills that you had? I guess that's the simplest way to put it
2: yeah it's it's a tough a tough thing to answer because it's it's probably everything that makes a person mm-hmm. uh, I had a situation that happened early in my flying career where I was flying at night in the clouds and and I ended up the, the guys I was flying with became spatially disoriented, and I broke out of formation and found myself plummeting toward the ground. And I pulled out between a farmhouse and a row of trees, going 500 miles an hour, about mm. 200 feet above the ground. I should have been a fireball that night. And mm. I recognized. It. And every time that I would close my eyes that night after I was able to land, I could see the ground rushing up, the lights rushing up, the altimeter unwinding, the airspeed increasing and i knew that i should have been dead but i was saved and and i also knew that if i had died i would have left a room full of trophies and a room full of stuff yeah. and it really didn't matter and and I, I changed my attitude back then and i think that really helped me to do the right things because as a as a young uh, professional i learned to evaluate what was right in my life and what should I be doing and where should I be spending my time.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: then also you have to learn to do things right and and in here comes the simple thing called integrity. If you don't have integrity, nothing else matters, but if you do have integrity, nothing else matters. And so I was able to put things behind me and do what was right and not be swung and influenced by things that were probably a little bit shady. And so I've always tried hard to keep my integrity because if you have, nobody can give you integrity. You have to live it. Nobody can take it from you. You have to give it. So it's part of doing the right thing if you're going to really be a senior leader that people can look up to. I also found that balancing family was a tough thing for me. And fortunately, I had a great wife, but mm. at some point you have to figure out as you climb the leadership Ladder, how are you going to balance your right. family and how are you going to balance priorities?
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: and I always made my family a priority. Another thing is health. A lot of people don't think about this, but a leader, if he's not healthy or she's not healthy, you're no right. good to your organization. So you got to right. take time to do what's right and get that exercise and, and be healthy. And, right. and so all these things as you climb, but as I did this, you got to keep that dose of humility. I realized <laughs> as a young captain, I was selected to be a white house fellow. You know, there'd been 60,000 applications by year. And, and there were 13 of us that were selected. And I'm sitting there with president Reagan and the Rose garden and I'm having opportunities that, that a young guy of 29 shouldn't have. And I realized that little image of a turtle on top of a fence post. Nobody, Turtles don't climb fence posts. Somebody had to put them up there. Uh, And I realized that even though the view was marvelous, and even though everything was wonderful on top of that fence post, I didn't get there by myself. (laughs) That people had helped me get on top there and it put me on top. And I took advantage of it. I took advantage of the view and, and I liked it, but I realized all the time that there were a lot of people that made it all possible for me and that I had to give it back. I had to share with them the blessings that I had. So I helped other people climb. Yeah. I helped other people get on top of fence posts and, and in helping them because I had been blessed, I was able to bless others. There it is. And if you can do it with integrity, if you can live out those core values that we learned in the air force of service before self and that thing about excellence, you know, my father told me when I was young, that there's only a little bit of difference between good and excellence, but it's that little bit of difference that makes all the difference. You have to study about the same amount to get a B plus or an A, but that little bit of extra gives you that A.
3: Yeah.
2: You yeah. you have to do a lot of times the same amount of work and the same amount of effort, but it's that going back and making sure that you spelled everything right and making sure that it's aligned properly and and making sure that everything is good that little bit of difference is the difference between good and excellence and 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 i challenge people to do that take the pride make a difference do that little bit of extra
0: scott i could listen to you all day we try to keep this lunch friendly so we're going to have to wrap it up so i was going to dive into another area but i'm going to i'm going to kind of force you to acquiesce to this i want you back as soon as possible, because I want to talk, we have a lot of of, of people joining the Sensei leader movement in Kenya and eastern parts of Africa. And Mm -hmm. I want to hear more about your adventures there as ambassador, and I want to talk about, you know, the differences and the similarities in the culture and the mindset of people all over the world. So can we have you back again for another episode?
2: You sure can, because you hit on something that's near and dear to me. Uh, There's 1.2 billion people in Africa, half of them under 18, We've got to give them opportunities. We've got to cultivate the leadership and entrepreneurship that they
0: can Oh, uh, yeah. I'm so, I'm so impressed with everybody that I meet, you know, particu- I don't want to say particularly anyway. All, all over Africa, I've seen so much incredible leadership. And, yeah, we've we just got to work together to bring that all to the, to the front, right? Scott, thank Amen. you so much. Let's talk about, really quickly, let's talk about how to get in touch with you and, and what services you're offering. I know you're speaking, you're consulting, and how, how do you, would you like people to get in touch with you?
2: Well, uh, contacting me, uh, I have a website called www.scottgrationalloneword.com, and that's primarily for my book. I'll be expanding that shortly, so there'll be more information there for you in terms of the speaking, but I also can be contacted at scottgration at gmail.com. I'm sorry, at grationbook at gmail.com. That's grationbook, all one word, at gmail.com.
0: Excellent. Scott, thank you so much. It's an honor to have you on the show today.
2: It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Jim.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Walking the Walk. Please like and share. Our mission at the Sensei Leader Movement is to support and develop human-centric leaders, leaders who put people first, leaders who inspire, empower, and guide people to their very best. Be part of the movement. Join and access all our free resources by visiting thesenseileader.com. To book Jim or host your own event, call us at 207-751-4317.